I do want to welcome you here this morning. I know there's so many things out there that could keep you from being here, and uh, I just thank you for being here with us, and uh, I know this has been a long journey through uh, the virus and all the complications that are associated with that. I also know there's those of you on the live stream that uh, would love to be here, but uh, your circumstances don't allow you to be here, and uh, we miss you when you're not here. Uh, but one thing about it is we are here, and as the video said, we know that He is God and He is still in control. And so what I want to do today is I want to continue the series, Seeing Beyond 2020. Now when I say seeing beyond 2020, I'm talking about not, not just looking to 2021, seeing beyond the, to look to 2021, but also looking or seeing beyond what was going on in 2020. And we looked at some of this last week when we looked at that whole idea of corrected sight, when faith is applied. And I think for many of us, maybe we kind of missed what 2020 was all about. Maybe we missed the opportunities to see our faith grow. Maybe we missed the opportunities to see God do something in our life that only maybe a virus could, could cause. Uh, but today, what I want to do is kind of turn it a little bit. And I want to talk about this whole idea of hyperopia. And it's that idea of the difficulty up close. And let me give, it, give you a definition. It literally means a condition where you can see far off, but have difficulty in seeing up close. Now, for some of you, that didn't happen until you hit your 40s, uh, maybe your 50s. Uh, but it does happen. And, and it's one of those things where we do have a hard time seeing things that are up close. They become fuzzy. Uh, uh, we have a hard time focusing. So look at the introduction. What is your response to life when you feel everything is closing in on you when life becomes difficult? What's your approach? What's your go-to? What's your mode of operation when that happens? Do you feel sorry for yourself and become easily discouraged? Or do you face life's challenges courageously? Do, do you, how, which one would describe you during 20? Maybe describes you even before 2020. Maybe there's been a pattern that's been set in your life where when things get hard, when things get difficult, uh, you, you, just, you just become discouraged. And for some of you, maybe you stick your head in the sand and hope it'll go away. Uh, but then there's some of you, and I'm sure you all have testimony of just, you just face things courageously. Well, I don't know about you, but 2020 took a lot of courage to go through in many ways. For some of you, it was really difficult because of uh, the health uh, that, that surrounded you and those that you loved and what they were dealing with, or maybe what you personally have dealt with. But for many of us, it just came down to the inconveniences and the frustrations. But what I want to do is I want to look at someone in the Bible that, that had to overcome things courageously, but had to possibly be inspired to do so. So I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, for some of you who, who like to uh, put the date when I preach or someone preaches on the platform about certain places, you're going to see that I just shared this with you at the beginning of COVID, the same verses. But, but it's amazing. And those of you who've studied the Bible, those of you who take God's word seriously and you really get into the word, how many of you notice that there's times when God will give you a word about a passage and, and you take that word and it's right on and you can come back to that passage later and, and, and it's still right on, but there's a little different twist to what God has for you in the same passage. Has that ever happened to you? 
Well, that's what I want to show to you this morning of how God has shown me some things as it relates to this. But I want to set it up the same way I set it up several months ago. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And when you really look at 2 Timothy, we think this is the last letter Paul ever wrote. When you get to 2 Timothy, many of us have, have looked at this letter and we've thought all these years, at least me, that Paul was just finally, okay, Timothy, here's some last instruction I want to give you. But the more I read 2 Timothy, the more I've come to the conclusion that Paul is not just writing these last words to Timothy to say, okay, here's how it needs to be. He's literally writing a letter, I believe, to tell Timothy to hang in there. To, 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 it's going to be okay. Don't leave the ministry. Continue to do what you're doing courageously. Because everything that I read in this can be associated to possibly what many of us has gone through this past year. And it's that idea. I mean, think about what Timothy was facing. Now, first of all, we know that he was facing persecution, which many of us possibly have never faced that, at least in the way that he faced that. But, but basically what Timothy was dealing with and what we can see reading behind the, the scene or the words there in 2 Timothy is that he was facing daily uncertainty, dealing with anxiety, dealing with fear, dealing with frustration. He is obviously overwhelmed by events and or circumstances, and it's almost like he obviously is feeling alone. And when you see what Paul writes and addresses in this letter, you can see that these things are apparent here. And Paul is saying, Timothy, hang in there. So what was Paul's goal for the letter? I believe it was to inspire Timothy to keep going. Uh, to, to get him back to those things that he once believed. To, to empower him with courage. And so really when we look at 2 Timothy and we look at what we've been through, not to the same degree Timothy has, believe me, he was, went through some very difficult things when you study the history. But for many of you, it may, have just, it may as well have just been as that difficult because it was. Maybe you can relate to these things that Timothy faced. Now, there are times, and this is what we need to take from last week into this week. There are times when our faith needs courage. How many of you agree with that? You just need courage. Your faith needs courage. And that's what I want to show you this morning. So look on your outline. Demonstrations of courage. The first thing that we see here is fortitude or adversity. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 10, verse, uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, but you, he's speaking to Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine. Now, that's Paul, okay? So, Timothy, you've care carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at, at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He's basically writing this letter, and he's kind of closing these last, the, this, that last verse that we just read with this whole idea, Timothy, do you expect anything less? When you began to live for Christ, when you began to live for him, and you began to, to, to make him known, you're going to come up against a major opposition. 
And Timothy, why wouldn't you expect it not to be that way? Because according to God's word, Jesus himself said the world does not understand the kind of love that he has for the world. The world looks at it and they're confused and they don't get it. And he's basically saying, Timothy, isn't that what we should all expect? But he's telling him, he's almost like saying, there's certain things that we can expect in this life. And we need to have fortitude. It's the idea of keep on keeping on through the struggle, through the failure, through the disappointment, through the discouragement, through the temptation, through the hopelessness. And the thing that we need to realize is it, it's not just us overcoming things to overcome them. Here's what I've discovered about life. There are other people counting on me, counting on you to overcome those things. Did you know that? Think about those who have and we know that those who dealt with mental illness this last year has been horrific on many of them, taking their life. You read about all the cases of those who have died because of the, the physical death that people have dealt with with COVID. But there's many who have dealt with the, 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 the mental parts of the struggle, and many have taken their life. And we see that so clearly. And, and it's basically that whole idea that many of them don't believe that others are counting on them. And for many of us, maybe they, we don't realize how much we really need each other to encourage one another, to inspire one another as we overcome what is in front of us. Paul, I believe, is writing this letter, and I think behind it all, he's saying, Timothy, there's other people who are counting on you to keep on keeping on. There's people who are counting on you to overcome those failures in your life, to overcome the disappointments, the frustrations. There's those who are counting on you to overcome this hopelessness that you're feeling right now. I remember many years ago, many of you know our testimony as, a, as mine and Tina's testimony, and we got married at a very young age, and uh, we had a child that was on the way, and and, and, and I'll be honest with you, uh, it came with very difficult circumstances. And a lot of circumstances we, we, we put in motion ourselves, to be honest with you. And, and I remember I got to one of the lowest points in my life, through all the pressures of a young father, all the pressures of a young husband. It didn't seem like anything in my life was going right. I, I was working as hard as I knew the work. I was working almost like 78 hours a week. I, I mean, I had a lot of pressure on me. I was really working hard to provide for my family uh, at a young age. And I remember one night in particular, I was 18 years old, and, and I remember... All those pressures just kind of came to a head. I came home that night, and Tina had a difficult day, and we, we kind of had it out. Many of you know what I'm talking about if you're a married couple. We, we just didn't see eye to eye on something. And I'll be honest with you, I left that not really sure I wanted to go on. I, that was probably the lowest point in my life. And, and, and I, was just, I was just so overwhelmed. I felt like I was in it by myself, hopeless, frustrated, just, I mean, I was really coming to an end of myself. And I remember leaving the bedroom where we had our argument, and, and I walked into this, uh, we had this tiny little apartment, and I walked into this little living area, and, and it's almost like something just kind of pushed me to my knees. I'll never forget that night. That night, the Lord just kind of dealt with me. And, and it wasn't this harsh thing that he did. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. I've never in my life sensed hope like I sensed that night. 
The Lord just dealt with me in such a precious way to, to just inspire me. I mean, it, it was, I, I, I can't explain it. I will never forget that evening like that evening took place. And, and it was just like one encouragement after another. And, and he gave me direction. And I, I mean, it wasn't some audible voice. The, the roof didn't open up and the clouds part. I mean, it wasn't one of those. But boy, it might as well have been. It was so clear that he spoke to me in my desperation. And y'all, I think many of you are sitting in this room and you just want to hear from him in your desperation. Sometimes I've learned that God speaks very clearly when I get to the end of myself. When I get to the point where I can't do a thing about anything and he tends to show up at those times. And that was a real telling time for me that night. But you know something? I came out of that source of encouragement, and I was inspired. I, I remember going back into the room where Tina was, and I said, here, I believe God's given me a word. I mean, I've never, I've never gone from such desperation to hope in so, so, so limited time like that. And, and, and I went in there, and I said, I think this is the direction God wants us to go. And I started laying it out. It's pretty amazing to think that he brought it to pass. But it's that idea of having fortitude, not, not to say that we can't come to the end of ourselves, but that God wants to speak into that time in which we're at the end of ourselves. And he desires to do that. And for me, it's when I went to my knees. It's when I said, you know something? I can't do this anymore. This is totally beyond me. Next, we see demonstrations of courage, or a demonstration of courage, unyielding in conviction. Now, this is it really, if you want to understand what's missing in our world today, there's no conviction anymore. There's no conviction. And that's the reason many people struggle with insecurities. It's because, and let me help you with something. The word conviction literally means solid in belief or unshakable in belief. And that's what conviction means. And I believe we're living in a world where there's a lot of insecurity how, how many of you notice that? A lot of insecurity in this world. And, and I hate to say it, but those who are professing Christians, they have a lot of insecurity themselves. You know what I found have come, you know what I have found that comes with insecurity? Are those, listen, are those who say that they're, uh, they've accepted the salvation of Jesus Christ or children of God, but yet they do still do not understand who they are in Christ. They don't understand that. And as a result, they're hanging out there with their insecurities instead of uh, uh, having firm conviction of who they are in Christ. And then for others, it's, they don't see who God really is. They have some idea of who God is, or maybe they've taken someone else's word for who God is. But, but they've jumped to conclusions. Maybe the world's given them the idea of who Christ is. But they don't truly understand who he is. You see, to live a godly life in the midst of adversity or a crisis requires unyielding conviction, firm in belief, ability to stand up under distress. Look at what Paul tells Timothy in verse 13. He says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But here's the key. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, if you really want to know how 
to, to move forward. If you really want to know how to get out of this desperation or this idea of being overwhelmed or realizing that you may be facing the world by yourself, the thing you need to understand is you got to get back to what you know. Get back to what you know. That night for me as an 18-year-old young man, one of the first things I, I really remember about what God did as he, as he seemed to pour into my life that night was the fact that he literally got me back to what I knew about him. That, that my life wasn't built on some kind of shifting sand. That my life wasn't built on my feelings and, my, and what I was, but my life was built on him. And I remember that very clearly, that I could trust him. I could trust him. You know, it's very interesting. If you want to read more stories about the whole idea of what it means to, to, to be, have unyielding and conviction, even through difficult times, read some of the Psalms, especially the Psalms that David wrote. You know what you'll find there? You'll find someone who wasn't perfect. But one thing he always did in those Psalms is he always came back to knowing who God truly was and who he was in God's eyes. He always got back to that. He had an unyielding conviction in who he was in, in God. Next, the demonstration of courage is resolute in truth. The word resolute literally means determined in purpose. It's unwavering in belief. And look at verse 16. He says, Paul tells Timothy, okay, Timothy, the, the thing that you've learned from the very beginning was the word. The thing that you've been so secure in knowing, I mean, it was taught to you when you were a child, and he's basically saying you need to get back to it, and here's why you need to get back to it. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It comes from God himself and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, the person of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That no matter what you're going through, the hopelessness, the, the desperation, the frustration, the whatever it may be, those, that is there. Be resolute in what you know is truth. How many of you with the condition the world's in right now and hearing so many versions of what's considered truth, how many of you sometimes just get a little frustrated and even at times confused? Do you? I know I do. You can hear one story and hear so many different versions of the truth or what they consider the truth. And, and for, you, for me, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know who to trust anymore to know what is true. Do you, do you feel what I'm feeling here? I mean, it, and it's so true. You look out there and it's like, well, who am I supposed to believe? Who am I supposed to believe? And then you lock into one and you see the, the, there's no certainty in that either. But one thing I do know, I can always go back to the Word of God. I can always go back to that. That's where it all hangs. And it must be for us who want our lives to be on something that is firm. I feel like everything in this world, more so than I've ever seen before, is shifting. It's moving. It's the reason many of us are feeling insecure in this day and age is because we don't, we don't know what to believe. We don't know who to look to anymore. But we can always look to Him. And for many of you, it's been in place since childhood. We just got to get back to that. But even that's being under attack, isn't it? 
And we need to get back to what we know is truth. Let me tell you a quote I heard this past week, and I thought it was very, very true. Here it is. God did not write another version of his Bible for our generation. That was pretty profound, wasn't it? He didn't write another version for a generation that's out there that wants to redefine who he is, that wants to redefine his work. He hasn't changed. And that's the reason, you know, we can be firm. We can be resolute in truth. Next, demonstration of courage, determination in confrontation. Look at verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, you may say, now, wait a second now. He's talking to a, a, a preacher. Now, listen, we've all been called to be teachers of truth. You do know that, right? We're to go into all the world. Every one of us has been given that responsibility. We use the gifts he's given us. So this can be for all of us. It happens to be in the context of Timothy here. Look at verse 1. He says, I charge you. I challenge you. I want to inspire you. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. How will he judge? It's based on what he just said. He's going to judge them by his word. His word. And then here's what he says. Preach the word. Teach the word. Live the word. Let, let the word be truth and evident in your life. Not just through your speech, but in how you live. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, resort with all long-suffering and teaching. And here's why. For the time will come. And by the way, we're, we're definitely living in this day, in this time. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, because they want someone to tell them what they're feeling is, is justified, what they want is justified, because all that's there, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll go far from the truth. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, people are counting on you to get it right. They're counting on you to bring the right message. They're counting on you to be a trustworthy source of what God says. I can't think of a time that, that all these years, I mean, it's always been in place. There's been false teachers in every generation. But I don't know that they've ever had the platform that they're having today in this age. I mean, the platform of social media, the platform of, and y'all, in this age where information is so rampant and information is everywhere, we need to be more in the Word and know the Word probably greater than any other generation because there's so many different messages that are coming at it. And yet, we find from surveys that we're the most illiterate generation of, quote, Bible believers. In a time we need it more than ever to determine what is truth you know, this whole idea of confrontation, and I, I chose these words carefully, determine, determination and confrontation. The thing that I know about me is that I have to confront myself sometimes. How many of you are that way too? Do you have to confront yourself? I do. You say, oh, wow, you're pretty messed up, aren't you? Yeah, probably so, but anyway. I do. I have to confront myself sometimes. I have to, I have to place myself in front of truth for it to confront me. That's what you're doing here this morning. 
You showed up, and hopefully you came here because you're hoping God would give me a word that would speak to your heart. I hope you came with the whole idea, hey, I want to be confronted with truth today because I'm not sure I'm really getting it in the rest of the world. You want truth, and I'm bringing truth. But here's what I've noticed. We, th- we think that truth's something we got to go, and, and when we hear something that's false, we got to confront it. And we do. We've been called to do that. But we got to confront it within our own spirit first. There's times I have to be confronted with my behavior, with my attitude, with my actions, and all those things with the truth of God's Word. And that gives me the liberation to go and confront it out there in the world, to call it out. We got to be faithful to live out faith, be courageous to live out faith. How do you do that? Where does, how, do you, how do you get to a point where courage is the mode of operation for you? When you know something's right and you, you've, you're standing firm in it because it's conviction, and because you know that God's word says you need to confront it, how, how do you do that? Well, I think it comes down to what, the, the way you deal with what you have coming towards you. Let me give you some examples. Look at the things that you put before you. Do those things feed your faith or your fear? You ever thought of that? What are you putting in your life right now that feeds your faith? You could say, well, every morning I get up, get a cup of coffee, have this time where I just get in the Word, hear from Him, a prayer time, that, that feeds my faith. And it does. Been there. I know what, exactly what you're talking about. I come to church. I, I want to sit in, in a room full of other believers. I, I, I want the message that's being spoken from the platform to be truth, to be something that's not, that's not shakable like the rest of the world's offering, that's something that's shifting. I want to come, and I want, some, I want things to be firm in my life, and I'm hoping that's what I'm getting when I go to the church, and I'm trusting that person or that connect leader or whomever, and I'm trusting the people I'm sitting around that they're there for the same reason, that we can stand together in truth. Let me ask you this. Do the things you put before you empower you or discourage you? How many of you saw some very discouraging things this past week? I believe every one of us could raise our hands on that. Very discouraging. And we can't help but see discouraging things around us. But what do you primarily put in front of you? The things that discourage you? Or the things that remind you that there's hope beyond anything that we face in this world. That there's still a God that's in control. Next, how to have courage in the difficult. If, if, I'm going to, if I'm going to start living my faith with courage, if I'm going to be resolute in truth, if I'm going to have, I'm be firm in conviction, how, how do I get there? How do I get to that point? Well, how do you do that? How to have courage in the difficult? Number one, and this is some of the same information I gave you months ago, embrace God's intent in difficulty. What is his intent? Okay? Now, This is the starting point. People can endure almost anything if they know there is a reason or purpose for their difficulty. I I found that to be true of myself. If I know that the outcome is going to produce something that's beneficial, that's good, 
then I can pretty much go through anything. But, but let's face it, sometimes we don't have that privilege to know that. How many of you may be dealing with something right now? You don't know how it's going to turn out. You just know you got to be faithful. You got to hang on courageously in your faith and, and you're there and you don't know. Now, now here's what you got to understand. Your faith is not in that in particular. Your faith is in the one who allowed that in your life. And you're trusting him and you're embracing his intent, even though you may not know what it is. Now, what does the Bible say about it? James chapter one, here it is. Here it is on the screen, knowing. The word knowing there is experiential. It's literally the idea of been here before. That the testing of our faith or your faith produces endurance. Y'all, endurance is, I believe, what we call the faith muscle. It's the muscle. Here, you say, man, you're reading a lot into this. No, this is, this is how I come to understand it, okay? It's like faith. If I'm to have courageous faith, okay, I've got to, it's got to be produced in me, okay? And so I've got to bring the endurance. And as I bring the endurance for God to do a work in my life, for my faith to become courageous, that muscle has to be built. Now, I know you, looking at me, you can tell I spent a lot of time working on muscles. Uh, you know, you can look at me, I'm sure, you know. No, you're supposed to laugh, y'all. I mean, I mean, uh, anyway. There's something being produced in us, but let endurance have its perfect work. That means there's something to this. We may not know the outward intent. We may not know what God is up to, but because we trust him with our lives, because we place our faith in, in, in him, we're gonna live it out courageously because our faith is in him. And he says, but let endurance have its perfect work, have its maturing work that you may be perfect. That means the idea of being fully developed and complete, that meaning whole, Lacking nothing. It's where you realize you have everything you need. It, you, that's when you realize when you look at the whole world and it's shaking over there and it's moving from side to side and there's this message and this message and this message and this possible outcome and this possible outcome that, that you're still standing firm. Let me ask you, is there anybody in your life that's that way? that's firm, even though it seems like the world is just going in so many different directions, and they just sit there in their faith, and they live it courageously, and they just trust in God, just trust in God. Man, ain't God great? I've, had, I've literally had a couple of people close to me say, I can't wait to see how God's going to use this. And I'm sitting there sometimes terrified. You know what I'm talking about? And they just have this matter-of-factness about their faith. And y'all... I want that. I want you to want that. Where it doesn't matter the news we pick up. I started to say when we read the paper. Does anybody still read the paper? Is anybody doing that? But, but when we turn on social media or whatever, and we see all these different things and these images and, and these thoughts, and it's almost like you're looking at it. It's like, do people really believe this? And, and it just bothers me. Anyway, I'm getting carried away. But anyway, and yet there are those they just live faith, knowing God's just still in control. Man, I admire that so much. There's this one guy, I quit meeting with him because of this. 
Seems like every time I went to them, I had my list of whining. Anybody got a whining list? You just go down the college. Anybody got that? Okay. Just whine and I can't believe this. And can you believe this? And he said, he just sits there and grins from ear to ear. He even, he even crosses his arms and just grins. I just want to, I just want to smack him. But anyway, <laughs> but he does. He, he's not putting on airs. He's not sitting across from me trying to make me feel bad about my whining. That's not what he's about. He truly knows that God is still in control. And he lives courageously knowing that. And his faith is evident. And every time I get up, most of the time it's at lunch with this person, and get in the car, I am so challenged and inspired to want so much to the extent that he has, I want when it comes to my faith being courageous. But it didn't happen overnight for that person. There were times of testing. There were times when God came through. There were times of uncertainty where he just had to trust God. And that's something that's built in a person. Next, how to have courage in the difficult. Nurture your spiritual roots during difficulty. You see, that's one reason why we, when these, our kids go off to college, that's my biggest prayer. If you were to say, how do you pray for a college student? My biggest prayer for a college student is they never get away from their spiritual roots because it will never be more attacked than when they walk into the university in most cases. And I pray that they never lose sight of that. It's the reason Timothy, uh, Paul goes and tells Timothy, Timothy, get back to what, what you were nurtured in when you were a small child. Get back to that. There's the right answer. Stick with that. That's where your strength will come from. You develop spiritual roots, listen, by building your life to loot, having conviction. The Bible tells us why we may not endure in Mark chapter 4. Look at the verse. And they have no root in themselves. They have no fortitude. And so endure only for a time. They may have just enough to just kind of get them there. Afterward, when tribulation or persecutions arise, or difficulty arises, for the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Why do they stumble? There's no anchor. There's no roots. There's no firm foundation that they built their life upon. What have these days, I want you to think about this, 2020, what, what has 2020 revealed about you? Do you have roots? you have an anchor? Or you been just kind of carried back and forth with the winds of the news of the day and the winds and the news of what this politician is saying and what that politician is not saying and how that was said and, and, and the images you're seeing. And Do you like what you see? Here's a better question. What are other people seeing in you? your kids grow up and say, you know something? My parents weren't perfect, but one thing they did have, they, they, they had a firm foundation under them. I knew what they believed. And thank God it was passed on to me. You see, when you build your life on something that does not change, you're stable. And can, you can pretty much endure. In Romans 15, 4, it says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, 
So that through endurance, there it is, that's the muscle that creates great faith and courage in our faith. So that endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's where it comes from. And the thing that we encounter on is this, God's word does not change. Doesn't matter how much attack it, it takes on in this world. How to have courage in difficult next, direct your attention to God and not the difficulty. Now, when difficulty is up close, we do not see clearly. I've used this example so many times, but anything that we have that is pressing upon us, let me ask you a question. How many of you have something pressing on you right now? Burden for someone, you're upset about something, unforgiveness in your heart, there's something hanging out there. Let me tell you, when those things are in your life, that's all you see. And you filter much of what you see through that. And I'll be honest with you, you're not seeing things clearly when they're that close. You're not. How many of you, when you started turning 40, you had to back everything away? And then once your arm went long enough, what did you have to do? You had to get something to correct it, right? <laughs> and the thing is, someone has rightly said this. If you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. If you look within, you're going to be depressed. If you look to Jesus, that's where you'll find hope and peace. That's so true. So what I want to ask you is, where do you direct your attention when the difficulty comes? Do you hold it in front of you? Or do you give it to God? And you say, God, I don't know what your intention is for this. I have no idea what you're up to. But I trust you. I trust you. Help me to see it through that lens. How to have courage in the difficult. Use your experiences to help others through difficulty. Now, let me tell you one thing, and I've, I've got to hurry. Let me tell you one thing that, that I'm picking up on during this time of COVID. One thing, and I've, I've got to hurry. Let me tell you one thing that, that I'm picking up on during this time of COVID. I know a lot of churches, a lot of churches aren't meeting right now. They're doing everything by way of live stream. And, and every church has to operate in a way they feel that they need to operate. And, and I get that, okay? One thing we've tried to do is we tried to keep our doors open as long as possible. And I just want to tell you, you've done a beautiful job helping us with that. I think the reason we haven't had any major outbreaks is because you have tried to listen to what we're saying. You may not agree with everything that we're saying, but you've at least made those attempts. And we fully appreciate that. But let me tell you one thing that concerns me about what this COVID thing may do. I, I keep reading these statistics saying that 20% of the people who attended church before COVID may never come back to the church. Okay. And what they think may happen is many people will find that the live stream, and that, that was my caution about even having live stream, that they may not see the need to actually come to the physical building. That, I mean, let's face it, what can you do now? You can, you can send uh, your, uh, your grocery list to a grocery store, and all you got to do is wing by and pick it up and head on back to the house. Everything in life's becoming like that. Church can't become like that. Part of church is not just gaining information and hearing the Word of God. The biggest part, one of the biggest parts of church, apart from worshiping God as He truly is and receiving His instruction, is that we're doing life together. Everywhere you find in the early church, that was the big deal. They were doing life together. They were unified. They were moving forward. They were affirming one another. They needed each other. 
There's people who, who, who are listening today by live stream. They can't be here. Their doctors told them it would be a big mistake for them to be here. They long for the day that they can come back and be with the family of God. And then there's some who will make a decision to say, this is really all I think I need. No, you need so much more. You need the body. We need each other. And the reason for that is that we're there for one another, that we can go through these experiences together, and we can help one another. We can affirm one another. We can do this. We can help others build their own faith up. I gave this illustration some months ago. For many of you, it connected with you. But the redwood trees, that grow in, they grow in groves in the western part of the country. They can grow to be as much as 350 feet tall. Yet the roots... This may surprise you, are only five to six feet deep. Can you imagine that? Think about that. Extending, their root system can extend as much as, a, uh, some say, 100 feet to almost a football field. So they're shallow, but they extend. And yet the other trees, the roots intertwine and fuse together, which give themselves tremendous strength against anything that nature throws at it. And so there's this interconnectedness that establishes that they're going to be okay, that they're going to be on firm footing, that, that they're going to hold up fine. Why? Because of the rest of the trees. It's a beautiful picture of how the church should look when it comes to each other. Next, how to have change in the difficult, rely on God's power in difficulty. See, God never meant for you to go through difficulty on your own, nor rely on your own strength. Let me tell you this. First of all, you need his strength. You need his strength. How many of you have ever tried to do something very difficult in your own strength? You ever tried to do that? I tried to pastor a church for the first several years in my own strength. You say, really? I did. And, and I was exhausted. I, I was. I know a lot of you are disappointed. Some of you are here during that time, and you're like, really? Write that off, okay? No, I, I did. I, 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 it took me years to figure out how much I needed him to do what he called me to do, that the task is always bigger than I am, and that I would have to rely on him. And he's telling us all to do that. So how do we do this? We do this through prayer. Especially when it comes to the difficulty. If we're going to embrace the intent of God as to why we're even in the difficulty, then we need to converse with God about it. I don't know about you, but many of you are convinced that your prayer life is to get God to do what he wants you to do. I get that. There was a time in my life where that's what I thought prayer was about too. It's not. Prayer is intended to get you on the same page with God. Prayer's intended for you to see the bigger picture. And yet there's many out there that teach, you know, prayer is, is telling God what you want and how bad you want it. And you'll get it probably because you're going to name it and claim it. And he'll, he'll provide it. No, that's not what prayer is about, getting on the same page with God. Prayer is about understanding the big picture of what he's doing in your life and aligning yourself up with his will. Next, courage in the difficult. Expect God to bless through the difficulty. Right now, many of you are not seeing the blessing in the difficulty. I'm, I'm going to share this with you. <laughs> Actually, my wife said it not long ago, and I got to think about it. I said, that's, that's pretty true of me, too. But how many of you are sick of the mask? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Sick of the mask. 
But you know what she said, and I think it's true of me too. I haven't been near sick this year. By now, I will have already had three head colds and some kind of germ that I got off some of you by shaking your hand when I come in this place. I came to the conclusion that you people make me sick. And I came to the conclusion that you people make me sick. And I'm joking. But it's true. And so when I'm sitting there looking for the blessing, well, I haven't had to deal with sinus drainage in a while, and I haven't had to. <laughs> and normally I'm going through all this because I do. I, I, love, I love on Sunday mornings, uh, some, for some of you, I get one shot at you, and I want to come and encourage you, not just from up here, but out there. And, I, you know, I love the hugs. And, and by the way, when all this goes away, I'm going back to that. But anyway, but it does come at a price sometimes. And I'm here to tell you that, that there are blessings hanging out there. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who perceives or endures under trial or difficulty. Because when he or she has stood the test, they will receive the crown of life. That means there's a reward. There's a blessing that's going to come from that, that God has promised to those who love him. Now, there will be blessings in your difficulty. Let me, tell you, let me tell you what some of the blessings could be. It could be a, a period of evaluation in your life. How many of you did some heavy evaluating in your life through this time? I did. I mean, I'm not saying that's a spiritual thing. I evaluate everything in my life, okay? Uh, my wife will tell you it gets to a disgusting level at times. But anyway, I evaluate everything. New priorities, for some of you, what you've just gone through or what you're going through have set up whole new priorities for you. You realize what's truly important. You realize that there may be a deeper faith associated with it. And here's the application this morning. Seeing and living beyond the difficult requires not only faith, but also the ability to respond courageously. Respond courageously. Let me end with how I started this sermon. Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Timothy, I know you're overwhelmed. Timothy, I know you think that possibly you're the only one in, in this thing. Timothy, I know that, that you, know, you just want to give up. But something happened in Timothy probably when he received this letter. Let me tell you, if you go fast forward, we believe Timothy probably received this letter uh, in 63 to 65 AD, just before Paul was executed. He wound up living to the age of 80 years of age. And what we think we know about how he died was in the 90s of the first century, the 90s of the first century, there was this great parade in which there was worship of Diana in Ephesus. And he sought to stop the parade and began to proclaim Jesus. This is Timothy who needed all this inspiration, right? And they stoned him right there. That's what tradition tells us about how his life ended. Was he inspired? Did he have courageous faith? He did. So you're sitting here today saying, you mean to tell me if I have courageous faith, someone will stone me to death in the end? Is that, is that, is that supposed to be encouraging? No, what I'm trying to tell you is he ended well. How many of you want to end well? He ended well. He came to the same fate of death as Paul did. And, and, and listen, I don't think they're in heaven saying, well, I wish that had turned out differently. No, what a great honor. 
I've given you some discussions and questions with others. I hope you'll take that seriously and talk to others about this as you evaluate what's been going on. Would you pray for, with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for just who you are. We thank you for Timothy. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for... It's just so clear what we see here in your word. And Father, I have no doubt that there's someone in this room, probably many people in this room, who they just don't know what to do with the difficulty. They don't know what to do with a, a mind that's confused about what to believe. They don't know what to do when it comes to how they should feel about the, what they're going through or what someone's gone through that they, they love and respect so much. And Father, I just pray, Lord, we may not have all the answers here, but one thing we can that we can be resolute in truth we can stand on the firm foundation of your word. Father, help us get back to that. I pray that we will not be settled until we do, that we can come back to your word, that we can be firm in conviction. And Father, we can trust you with whatever the world throws at us. In Jesus' name, amen.